know, I am so glad, Pastor Keith, that a year ago, even though you didn't know us, you took a risk on our life and you let us come through. I'm so glad you did. There's some places that you go to each week that are good. I think I'm exploding. I'll come over here. But there's other places that you go to that when you end up going there, it becomes your life that changes you in weeks and months ahead. And this is one of those places. You know, this is one of those places where last time we came, God really spoke to us and really done some things in our own life. And it's amazing because we come here, and the way God sets it up, we're pretty much just passing through for one or two nights, and then we're just gone. Mostly we come and we're there for a whole week or two, you know? But God just passes us through here real quickly, and in this short little time, He does more sometimes than what we get in a month. So this is like a kind of like a spiritual filling station, you know? He always gives us something when we're here. And uh, I've just been looking back at how much has changed, you know, in our own life and in your lives. You know, this is just amazing, isn't it, to see what God is, is up to. You know, he's up to something that is way beyond what we ever thought of. You know what I'm talking about? You know, when you signed the dotted line and you chose to serve the Lord, you know, we thought we'd go about this far. And, you know, he's going to take us farther than we ever could dream or imagine. You know, it's kind of cute to watch the little boy come up here, you know, as he was coming up the steps. It instantly reminded me of the temple, you know, how the, the word of the Lord says that, you know, his, our steps are ordered by him. And uh, you probably may know this not, but, you know, in the temple, they used to build the steps. Each step was different, different heights, different widths, all the way up. And they did that back then to prevent you know, chaos. They made crowd control that way. But do you know what they did? You know what God did with that? That was his way of saying, you know, every step in life is absolutely different. And there's not one step you ever take with me that's going to be the same because it's seasoned with amazing grace. You know, if you're going up steps that everyone are different, you got to be careful, don't you? You got to walk according to God's timing and his ways or it's not going to work. But uh, we head into... Now, just to let you know what God does with us, he kind of, you know what the word cross-pollination means? That's what he does with us. We were in, man, I forget so much now when it comes to where we were. I wake up and say, where are we? You know, we, we were in Flying J's, Cracker Barrels, and church parking lots all in this one week. We have probably been, I can't remember the last place we preached. Where did we preach at last Sunday? Last Sunday we were in a church. Uh, we, okay, this is what he does. Last Sunday we were in a non-denomination Pentecostal church. Last Wednesday we were in an Assemblies of God church. Tonight we were in, is this still you with Morningstar? Kind of? We're in a kind of sort of Morningstar maybe church. <laughs> and then guess what? We drive to... Monroe, Georgia, 
and we're in a stout Southern Baptist church. Last year, we were in a Wesleyan church, Southern Baptist church, Pentecostal church, a vineyard church, church of God. You know, when God started us out, he just said, go where I send you. And it's neat because he crosses us all the time. There's no rhyme or reason when you look at our schedule. And every time you try to make rhyme or reason to it, he just throws the whole thing off again. Isn't that kind of neat? So that's what he does with us. And uh, it's been a great privilege to be able to pass through here once again. And it's great to see. I could really see some, some just really good spiritual depth, you know, really manifesting in your heart. And uh, it's great and very refreshing to have my wife play, just be able to play free. You know, it's like you guys have been playing for 50,000 years or something. You know, you just don't skip a beat. It's amazing. It's, I mean, it, it really is. Oh, yeah. I, let me give you an idea what it could be like. No, actually, let's not even go there because that, that'll quench the spirit. So I'm not even going to go there. Let, but let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. You are very highly blessed. I mean, to have what you have here, yeah. And what you see here, you don't see this everywhere you go, let me tell you. Um, it's been incredible. It's been fun, just, and it's refreshing. So, you know, I, I know you've heard about this already, and I'm sure everyone that comes through talks about it. I was talking with Pastor Keith, but I'm sure you've heard many things about it, but Last night, we were so amazed last night. We came rolling in, you know, a five-hour trip ends up taking eight hours with us, you know, and we came rolling in, and we saw what probably other people see. <laughs> Look, honey, there's an amazing ring in the sky. You know, have you seen the ring, you know? And I'm sure a lot of people have said things about it and maybe prophesied into it, but I, I wouldn't take those things lightly, you know. You don't see a ring over any other region that I've been in. We've been in 19 states and 100 churches in the past year, and I've seen one ring in the sky, and it's been here in Jessup, Georgia. So that's, there's a reason for that, okay? And uh, the first thing I looked, when I saw that, I, you do a double take and you go, is that in the spirit or is that in the natural? And I'm looking and going, that cannot be, you know? And I'm looking, honey, honey, let's go look. And we're trying to film it, we're looking at it. And you know, from my perspective, you know what it looked like last night? It literally looked like the way the moon was all fixed in there, and there was a cloud over it. It actually looked like an eye. And the first thing I thought of was, man, that is like, that is like the eye of God. And that's the first thing that just came to my heart. And then obviously you probably would imagine if there's a big ring in the sky, you, you probably think of the word portal, you know? That's what I think of, a portal, you know, something that's you know, a, a direct connection to the Lord, and uh, that's what I thought of when I thought, you know, over, the, and, and I personally think, it's just my opinion, I think God put that ring there over this region for a reason, I really do, I think it is truly a sign or a wonder, and I think it has spiritual relevance to it, and so, you know, don't take those things lightly, not that you would, that's, that's incredible, well, I want to share a little bit to you tonight about some things, and uh, some things has happened since we came back through. 
about 15 days ago, one of the neater things, my son, we pulled into a, in uh, Pennsylvania, we pulled into a pilot truck stop. My son is seven, and he's been wanting to grow his hair long, you know, so I've been letting him, because I can't, you understand, you know, you let, let him have what you can't. So we pulled into a pilot truck stop, and uh, we are always in truck stops all the time, and uh, it was about 30 degrees or so, and we pulled, there was no other place to park, so we pulled right by the truckers, you know, and you see everything you can imagine, it's amazing, it's a whole new world. And we pulled in, and right to my, we was going to stop for some breakfast, and we pulled in, and the truck to the right actually said, Pride Delivery Service. The truck to our left said, Demon Delivery Service, and the numbers were 666. And I'm looking at the two going, dear Jesus, what are you doing, you know? Come on, are you trying to squish our breakfast out of us or something? And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just kind of, you know how you get one of those promptings, you know, and you know that it's for a reason? You're walking into a symbolic moment, a spiritual, prophetic, symbolic moment. You know, those things happen. We actually pulled right into one of those, not even realizing it. It was by the sovereign hand of God. And all of a sudden, I can't say the exact words, but my son basically just kind of looked at me and said, Daddy, what does it mean to have Jesus Christ in your heart? And I'm realizing, wow, right in between pride and right in between the demons of this world, here my son, right in a pilot, which is symbolic of being launched, being taken forth, being directed, my son finds the Lord. You know, and it wasn't anything I did, or it, it just illuminated. Isn't it amazing when God just illuminates something and you have nothing to do with it? Another thing that happened, which I just think is amazing, my dad went through, you know, just a horrible past five years. It's just been one of the worst five years of his life. He's 65 years old. That's not why it's been horrible. It's just, you know, he's had one of the worst five years. He had everything taken from him, everything stolen from him. Everything was just a nightmare. And in this past year and a half, my my dad got remarried to a very godly, godly, godly woman, which has been incredible. My dad has done a total turn. My dad's been saved for many years, but it's like in this past year and a half, everything that has been lost, God has been restoring back to him. It's been absolutely incredible. And uh, one thing that happened is years ago, my dad, you know, my dad was real skinny when he was in high school and everything. He used to get beat up all the time. He actually was the kid that used to get thrown in the trash cans, literally. He was the kid all the time throwing the trash cans. And my dad decided he didn't want to get thrown in the trash cans no more. So he started lifting weights all the time, you know, Joe, Wheel, you know, Joe Wilder weights or something like that. The old, he's been lifting weights all of his life. And one day, years ago, my, my, the Lord told my dad, he said, he said Charlie, he said, I'm going to use you one day with weights. And my dad's been weightlifting for 20, 30 years now. And nothing really amazing has come out of it. But last month, again, another divine, Kiros, spirit-led, amazing moment kicks in, and a promise is fulfilled. You know, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have really been told something that has not come to pass yet? I just want to tell you this to encourage you. This ain't even on the notes, so. My dad went to a powerlifting competition. Do you know what those are? Where you bench press, you squat, and you deadlift. Deadlifting, basically, you, you pick the barbell up, you know, and you hold it, and then you set it down gently. Well, my dad, uh, in an all-natural power competition, um, 
which means you can't be on steroids, which means you can't have a big belt. You know, the belts add a lot of weight. You can't have wristbands. You can't have anything. You know, it's very hard. My dad in this competition, you know, actually at 65 years old, ended up setting, which is so cool, a national record at 65 years old. And uh, he said, I'm going to tell you what he said. It was incredible. He said that all morning he was lifting the weights, you know, and, and it was real heavy. And uh, he didn't have no strength that day. And there's all these rough people, you know, around, all these big, powerful deadlifters, real young guys, older guys, not older, but younger and everything. And they're just, you know, they're, they're going for the gold, you know, the national record. And a lot of them's not saved, you know. And uh, he goes in there, and he's lifting hard. He said, nothing was clicking that day. And he thought, man, I don't think I'm going to get this. And all of a sudden, he said he bent, you know, he bent down to get the weight, you know. And uh, he pulled it up, and he got to his knees. You know, it, it was 455 pounds, all natural, which, for, you know, with your hands. just. And he said when he got to his knees, he said all of a sudden the power of God came on him. And he literally started shaking under the power of God. And he said, when he got all the way up, you're supposed to hold it for like, you know, three seconds. And he barely can hold it. And he stood there under the power of God. And he was just holding it and holding it. And he said, people were, you know, their eyes were like this big. What are you doing? And he said, and normally you could like set it down pretty hard. He said, supernaturally, he just slid it all the way down and gently put it down. He said, but when he put the weight back down, the barbell, he said, the spirit of God came on him. He's here, he's 65 years old. You know, all these other people trying to do all this stuff. He said the Spirit of God came on him, and he started worshiping the Lord right there on the platform and dancing and everything. And he said the people, he said literally some of them, and I I can't explain this other than the fact some of them that were not saved, he said it was like a wave of the Spirit came in that building, and people actually started dancing and celebrating. There was no music. And now get this, here's here's the kicker part. At the whole end, he said, it became like the grand finale of the whole thing. He said, the whole evening, people kept coming up to him and doing this. What on earth was that? <laughs> Nonstop. That's all they kept doing. Who's your, what happened? You know? And he said, the whole evening, he didn't have to do anything. The lost just kept coming to him. And he just kept saying it was the Spirit of God. And they were like, yeah, it was something, you know? So... Isn't that amazing? After all those years, God said he would use him powerfully one day, and you know he did. You know, it's really amazing when you're at a place when something happens in your life, like a divine moment where you don't have to do anything. And now all these people are coming to you, and you're winning them to the Lord. And not only that, is the Spirit of God backed you up. Isn't that amazing? God set that up 20, 30 years back. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that. You know, there was a time in uh, the Israelites' life where they really needed a divine moment. You know, everything was being damaged and everything was uh, just being destroyed. And all of a sudden, God kicks in. It's not that he was asleep, but he was setting up this perfect moment for the Israelites and all the people around them to see a very powerful thing called the hand of God. In the book of Judges, chapter 6, I'm going to take you to Judges, chapter 7, but I want to talk to you and walk through with you Judges, chapter 6. 
for just a minute. You can go ahead and turn to Judges chapter 7 if you have your Bible. In Judges chapter 6, for seven years, the Bible says that the Israelites went into a sin. And for seven years, the Midianites came in, which used to be part of the Israelites. They were of their own. And they came in for seven straight years and took the paycheck, the credit card, the house, the car, the lawnmower, and even the rabbit that you hadn't fed in 15 years in the back, you know, literally took everything, everything, every single year for seven straight years. Now, I don't know about you, but that would get kind of old, wouldn't it? That would get frustrating to work super hard, and then at the end of the year come harvest time, here come the, the Midianites, and they would bring along the Amalekites and the Eastern domain. Every one of their brother they'd bring along. And instead, they would have no mercy, no grace on them. And it got to a point they would actually build houses and little huts and stuff out in the middle of nowhere, out in the cliffs, because, okay, here they come. Here come the Midianites. Let's just give them over, and, you know, they would go hide. And that's what they were under for seven years, but God had a different plan. And he chose to use a man named Gideon. It's interesting is the Israelites, after seven years, begin to cry out, okay? And the first thing that happens is God sent an unknown prophet. And I just want to say to you, you know, some of you may have a prophetic gift or some type of gift, and, you know, you may not be known, so to speak, but you know what? I believe in the days ahead and the years ahead, God is getting ready to use the unknown more than he's used the known. I've been really praying and thinking about this, and I've noticed a shift. I've noticed, like, you know, the known prophets, and you can name them by the dozen, they're known. I'm noticing that God's starting to release them from a lot of the personal type prophecies sometimes because he's starting to use them to affect major regions and major, major political powers, which means the unknown prophets and the unknown ministers and the unknown people, it's going to be time that they begin to take a whole new post. I believe that time is coming. So if you're in a boat that you're unknown and you've been waiting to be known through your gifts, obviously unto the Lord, guess what? That time is right around the corner, I believe. And I believe God's going to start releasing some amazing things over unknown people. You know, it's just like, bam, all of a sudden, where did this guy or where did this person come from? And God, at the appointed time, put everything into being. So he sent an unknown prophet, and the prophet spoke some things into their life. And then after that, God sent an angel. You know, you know when God's up to something, when the spirit realm starts coming into play. He sends a prophet, and then he sends an angel. But who did he go to? He didn't go to the known. He went to the unknown. Gideon responds when he talks to the angel. He says, but I am the weakest clan, and I am the least in my family. You know, the angel didn't turn around and go, oh, I'm so sorry. You're disqualified. Aren't you glad he didn't? That gives you and I hope. Because that means you can be the weakest in your family, and that means you can be the least in the kingdom of heaven. And guess what? The angel's going to come to your doorstep. You know, isn't that what Paul did? 
Paul went through a process, you know, you, you may have heard it before, but it's so touched my life when you look at it and you look at those scriptures. Paul goes, you know, he had a major battle with the super apostles, and he goes, I am the chief of the apostles. Then he talks on a little farther, you know, in his life, and he says, but I am the least of the apostles. And then towards the end of his life, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. Wow. What a change. Gideon starts off and says, hey, hey, hey. Angel, do you know who I'm, you know who you're talking to? You're talking to the least here. Angel says, that's okay. And then Gideon does something that's really cool. You know, years ago, if I was Gideon and an angel came to me, I may have just went and grabbed my sword immediately and just took off, you know. Yeah, let's go get him. You know what he did? The first thing he did was he built an altar. You know, and that's where it all begins. Before every battle, before everything that you're about to go through in your life, if you build an altar, that is where God looks down and goes, man, that is one of my children. And I'm going to honor it. What did Abraham do? Abraham built an altar. Lot chose not to. Who stood before Melchizedek? See what I'm saying? You look at those people that build altars. Who wrestled with God? Jacob wrestled with God. He also built an altar. You look at the people that built an altar with their lives, and guess what happened? There's one common denominator. God used them all tremendously. So he builds this altar, and then we go into Judges chapter 7. And I want to take you for a moment to Judges chapter 7, verses 2 through 8. Judges chapter 7, verses 2 through 8. This is out of the NIV. It says, The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go each to his own place. So Gideon set the rest back to their tents. You know, here there are over 30,000 people. The Lord anoints Gideon at such a time as that. You know, I believe in the days and months and years ahead, you know what? There's going to be a, such a time as that, where all of a sudden, as I said, no-name individuals, bam, God anoints them and activates things in their life that they've waited 20, 30, 40 years to accomplish. It's going to accomplish just like that. So here's what happens. Gideon has his men. He takes off, and a lot of these are young people, somewhat older people, whatever be the case, and they, they, they get, they're sick of being torn apart for seven years. And they're fed up with everything going on. And, it, and they just pretty much, a lot of them, jump on the bandwagon. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever jumped on a bandwagon before? You jump on something that looks good and you know what? That was not a good bandwagon. And you jump off when you realize, wow, I made a bad mistake. 
Well, we've done that many times. We've tried to start businesses that have crumbled. We tried to start a few ministries here and there that crumbled. We tried to do other things here and there that crumbled. And finally, God just kind of makes it happen. And so what the Lord does is this. God takes Gideon and his men up on this, like, ledge, this cliff, this embankment, a hill. And they're up there. And over here to my right is the Midianites. And they're in these big tents, you know, and they've got their camels. And they've got the Amalekites, and all of them are down there. And you can see, you know, they have black tents, you know. And uh, Gideon and his men, over 30,000 men, are standing up here. And they're like, whoo. I mean, as far as the eye can see, the Bible says that the Midianites, you couldn't even count their camels. That's how many there were. So this is big. It's like a big, you know, the tents, it's like a big black blob down there. You can't even tell what it is. It probably looked like a giant bug or something, you know, on steroids. And Gideon's going, I'm ready. Because he knows God's given him to him. And some of these people are going, "Woo!" And they're looking down and they're looking at their sword that they haven't slung in about three years. And they're looking over at the next guy and they're going, Man, that guy can't even plow his field straight. And you think he's going to protect me out there? And all of a sudden the Lord says, you know what? There's a lot of fear in the camp. And they're going to do you no good. So Gideon, you say, go ahead. If you're scared, go ahead and go home. I'm going to release you. And then God does something amazing. You know, this is like a process God's showing in the spirit of how he makes sure nobody receives the glory but him. So we're down. So he's up here on the mountain. The Midianites can't see him, but Gideon and his army, the 10,000 that's left, can see him. Now, there's always an old saying and a new saying. You know, when your commander-in-chief heads off towards the battle, what does that mean? It means it's time to go into the battle. So Gideon's standing there after a while, and the Lord says, Nope, you got too many men. I'm going to have to sift them again. And God takes them on this amazing path right towards the enemy to sift them. This is what he does. Gideon just takes off. Here's the Midianite camp. He just takes off right towards the camp. And there's this little river down here, right in between them and the camp. He crosses over, and he keeps going. Well, the other guys, the 10,000 men, 9,700 of them, by the way, just keep on going, and when they get to the water, they drop their sword. They take their eyes off of Gideon, which is a no-no in battle, and they take their eyes off the Midianites. This is the last little piece of water they're going to have for the next one, two, three, four months if this is a long battle, right? So this water is important. So 9,700 of them stop what they're doing. They go down to their knees, and they start drinking the water. 300 just keep on trucking. They got on the bandwagon. They said, Gideon, I don't care if it kills me. We're ending this battle this time. And never again is the Midianites going to come back around and take everything I've been working for all my life. I'm not putting my kids through it. I'm not putting my children through it and their children through it. It's stopping with us, Gideon. 
And Gideon takes off, and these 300 men, fearless men, under the power of God, go, yeah, let's go get them. And they take off, and this is what they do. Watch my hand. They've got the sword in the right hand. When they get to the water, they don't take their eyes off of Gideon one bit, and they don't stop looking at the Midianites. They're going to kill them. They've got their sword right like this. They reach down with one hand, left hand, and they lap it in their hand, scoop it, and they drink it up, and they just keep running. And they look back, and Gideon's here, and the 300 men standing by him, and there's 9,007 of them still down on their knees drinking their water. And God says, tell them to go home. These are the 300 men I'm going to use. Do you see the difference between the two? One was going into the battle, and one had forgotten the battle. And they got deterred, and they got sidetracked, and they totally got off focus on what they were supposed to be doing. So 9,700 of them went home. Now, so God passed them through the water, which they didn't have the big canteens that we do now. They didn't have the backpacks we do. So these people have just sacrificed their water. And then he does something else. He says, hey, Gideon, you know, I understand that you might be a little skittish every once in a while, but you know what? I want you to go down into the camp. So he sends Gideon and his sidekick down into the camp. As he goes down into the camp, one of the Midianites have a dream, and the interpreter down there says, oh, that's got to be Gideon. He's basically going to come and kill us. And Gideon hears it. And I want to tell you something. That's what I want to tell you. Oh, that was pretty cool. That was perfect timing. You know what? We couldn't have done that again if the odds were 1,000 to 1. And that's on tape, I hope, too. How cool. Let's try that again. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm just having fun. You know, they do have meaning sometimes. Did you hear that little ring? The, the little bird? That's what the spirit wanted to tell you. I said, I'm going to tell you something. And the Lord said, I was just going to talk about the sound of heaven. Do you know that you've won a battle? And you've heard it in the spirit. You cannot win a battle in the natural, unless you've won it in the spirit. If you win the battle in the spirit, the natural is going to follow. God already went before him, went into the Midianite camp, gave them a dream, and the actual of their own Midianites turned and said, spoke it right over him. That's Gideon, and he's going to come and kill us. And when Gideon heard it, what did he do? He immediately went back and got his men. Why? Because he knew the Spirit of God had gone before him, and he knew that now is a divine open moment. It was a divine open moment where it's time to win because it's been won in the Spirit first. So the natural is going to follow. Oh, then he does something else. God never stops amazing. You know, you would think after losing all those men and only having 300 you would think that God wouldn't ask anything else of you. I mean, wouldn't you think that in a natural mind? I would. But you know what? That's not like God. And it reminds me, too, you know, before I was saved, I, I grew up in the state of Indiana. And there was this old, it was called Turkey Run State Park. <laughs> As if a turkey can run, you know. But, uh, no, they can. They're pretty fast. But anyway, we used to go canoeing, you know, for like 20 miles. And there's this unbelievable 
don't go on, don't jump, jump off, don't even get near this red covered bridge, or go straight to jail, period, because it's so dangerous. And I remember, if you're a kid, and you're not saved, and you're rebellious like I was, what do you do? You do what the other rebellious people were doing. And they were jumping off the bridge, and some of them were coming up going, oh, oh, yeah, this is way up there. It was a do not make mistakes or die type of jump. And I remember we're sitting up there, and I get up there, and, you know, your heart's just throbbing. And you know if you don't land right, some broken bones are going to take place. And I remember I just finally did the jump, and I went all the way down and hit the bottom, and it kept going. Kept going, kept going. All of a sudden, it was yellow water, brown water, black water, black water. I'm losing my breath water. I'm losing my breath water. And all of a sudden, boom, and I hit the ground. Well, I knew when I hit the ground, I had to find the ground again. So I kicked my legs up and got back up. And it seemed like forever. And I came back up. You're gasping for air. <gasps> and you go, man, I'm never doing that again. And then you do it again, of course. <laughs> but I noticed something. I noticed something. Off to the side, none of my friends noticed it. There was a group of teenagers off to the side on this cliff. And one of them jumped off. And it was real dangerous. It was more dangerous than the do not jump off bridge. This was an absolutely, positively, don't go near this cliff. And I saw right where they had jumped off. And I thought, I bet you were eventually going to get by that cliff sometime today. So we jumped off the bridge a little bit, got to the point where we couldn't feel none of our body parts. And we thought, well, we're going to take a break. So we moseyed on down, and guess where we ended up? Right by the cliff. And again, this is a do not attempt. Don't ever attempt something like this. So we decided to climb up. I mean, it's amazing. I knew my friends, I knew what they were thinking, you know, like, mm. they decided, oh, that's a cliff. That looks dangerous. I don't think we should be on that cliff. Let's go up on the cliff. And they get up on the cliff. And they're looking down, they're going, man, nah, we can't jump off of this. And they're all just kind of sitting there quietly. And I'm looking for the spot, and I see the spot, and no one dares would jump. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, <laughs> there I go. And I can hear as I'm falling down, Andy! <laughs> and I stayed down there on purpose. And they're going, and I came, get, you know, little humor, you come floating up like this. You know, that was bad, don't do that. And I came up, and, and their eyes, you know, what did you do? You know, that reminds me of what God did to Gideon on this next little phase here. You can't count the tents and the camels of the Midianites, okay? There's so many of them. The odds of 300 men beating all those people is impossible. It's like the odds of me saying, and her phone going off again. It's just impossible, unless God's hand's in it, right? So, he says, I want you to put down your sword. Whoa. And every one of the battlemen had a pack. It was called a jar on the side. And they would put all their donuts and their zing-zings and their mashed potatoes and gravy, and they're left over at McDonald's hamburger in it because they're going off to battle. Well, the problem with that, they just 
past the water that they were supposed to fill up on. And his men, the Lord's men, just gulped it because they weren't going off the natural water at that point. They're going off the water of the Spirit. And then God says, I want you to put down your sword and I want you to go into battle with a torch, a horn, and an empty jar. Well, that's good if it's modern day. We would just go to Walmart and buy an empty jar. But back in that day, they had one jar, and it was to be filled with all the chocolate chip cookies you can imagine. Because that food is all you get out there in that battleground. So why do you say empty jar? You're just testing them one more time. So what all the men have to do? Dump out. Of course, you know what, it, you know what I'd have done? I'd have looked around. You know, everyone had to dump theirs out. So now they have no water, they have no sword, and they have no food. Boy, you can't get better than that. And then he says this, with your 300 men, I mean, you need 300 men just to protect yourself with these guys coming that you're about to fight. They were ruthless. He says, now I want you to divide yourself up. And I want 300 of you to go on that side of the mountain, and I want 300 of you to go on this side of the mountain. And I want the 300 to stay right here and go back up that mountain. So you got 300 men surrounding the Midianites, and it's dark, and it's moving in. I remember when we was in Alabama last year. We were out in the middle. Do you know the pastor? <laughs> well, it was close. I met him, by the way. No, we went way out there. I mean, this was so way out there that they didn't even know what to call way out there. That's how way out there was. And if you talked about way out there, you got confused because you couldn't tell where you were. That's how way out there you were. And this pastor friend of mine, he was 100% true rancher. I'm not talking about a cowboy. I mean, I was totally born in the factory, you know, my family defined the version, you know, if you think you're a redneck, my family was on there. This guy was 100% true rancher. I mean, the guy, I think, slept in his dirty boots. That's how rancher he was. He had this little trailer out in the middle of nowhere, cows all around and everything. He got it, caught him to it. He's also a pastor, too. And I remember one night we were out there, and there's valleys everywhere, and there's mountains everywhere, little... He says, now, Andy, he says, come here. But he says, come here, boy. I want to show you something. And he gets his little horn, and he blows it. Wait, he goes. And all of a sudden, you can hear. I said, man, how'd you get your cousins and uncles and nephews to do that? That's so cool. You know what happened, don't you? It was echoing all the way around, and then the echoes were echoing with each other. And that's exactly what the Lord did. He said, you put, three, you put 100 men on that side, 100 men on that side, and 100 men on that side, and I'm just going to go ahead and kill them for you. And the 300 get up there. Now watch this. This is so cool. And all at once they blow. And 300 horns 
sounded about like three million. And the roar of that thing woke those people up. It's, ah! And all of a sudden, this is what they did. It was real cool. Why don't you think about this? They hear the sound of a massive battle cry just roaring and roaring and roaring and roaring and roaring and through the air, still echoing. And then he says, take the jars, your empty jars, this is so cool, and throw them on the ground and bust them. Now to us, if you take an empty jar and you throw it on the ground, you know what that sounds like? Sounds like a pop tire. You go to Walmart, you get it fixed. To them, let me tell you what it sounds like. You ready? But that would have sounded like a bat. You know one of those one things, those catapults? When they would release those leather straps, you know what it would make a sound like? Just like that. So all of a sudden you hear 300 horns. And it all sounds like about 3 million horns. And then you hear, and what does he say? He says, light, light it. So at the same time you hear, you see these big flames in the air. What do they think just happened? They've been hit by catapults and incoming fireballs, 4th of July. And you know why they turned on each other? It was coming from every single direction. And Gideon stood there and went, and all those men that were so fearful, all those men that had been tormenting all those lives for seven years, in probably less than 45 minutes, were dead. And the two kings took off. And Gideon went and routed them down with his 300 men. The Bible says they were exhausted. They had no strength within them left. No food or nothing. What was it? It was the Spirit of God. Routed them down. And what did they do? They literally cut the heads off. Boom. Just like that. I'm telling you, you've got to win the battle. Kathy, come up and play a little, little something with me. You've got to win the battle in the Spirit. If you win the battle in the spirit, the natural is going to follow along with it. Do you see that? And oftentimes what happens is we try to win a battle in the natural and we get beat up. And God says in the days and months and years ahead, we've got to learn to start fighting more and more and more in the spirit because if you win it in the spirit the natural is going to obey it's amazing with 300 men and not even one catapult and empty jars not one sword and torches they wiped one of the most dreaded encampments out on the planet isn't that incredible you know, during worship, I want to share with you a little bit of what I've seen during worship. Let's pray a moment. We'll shift gears here. You know, this thing's kind of neat. What is this thing called? That's pretty awesome. 
You know, during worship, I was seeing over the waters a fast-driven and very beautiful, like a long banner, just flowing over the waters. And the Lord kept telling me, this is the waters of the deep. This is my hovering of the waters of the deep. And then after a while, I kept seeing a slingshot. And I kept seeing the pain and the force of something pulling back the slingshot. And there was a rock in the slingshot. And it just kept being pulled back and pulled back. And that I could see and feel the pain of this thing being pulled back. It was like you know, it's like sometimes God has to sometimes take you backwards. And the farther he takes you backwards, you know, the painful it is. He's taking you backwards, my friend, so that he can launch you, catapult you farther and faster and more, with more strength into the future. Do you see that? The Israelites, they got routed up to the Red Sea. You know what happened? God said, turn back around. They literally, as they were coming up to the Red Sea, they turned back around and, and Egypt went... Ah! Aha! You fools, you are blinded. You don't even know where you're going. Let's go kill them. God deliberately did it. Because he thought they were confused. He thought they were lost. And then they came out after him. And then what happened? They went right back down the same path, right into the Red Sea. And that's when it split. See, sometimes, and it may feel, literally, some of you are being pulled back like a slingshot. And you're like going, Lord, if you pull one more strand, I'm going to pop. You know what he's doing, though? He's pulling you back, and he's positioning you so he can release you. (laughs) And just like the Midianites, see, he's been pulling. That's what I'm seeing in the spirit. He's pulling some of you back like the catapult. He's getting ready to fire you right over the top of the Midianites. They won't even touch you. But it's painful, isn't it? Some of you, you know, you're like, yeah, don't pull me anymore. And he's just pulling you back to launch you forward. And that's what I was seeing. I don't know if it's for the church or for a few of you. Another thing I was seeing, I kept seeing this beautiful foundation, a real solid foundation, like blocks. And I kept seeing the hand of the Lord with gold string and a needle sewing through this foundation. I don't know exactly what it means, but that's what it was doing. It was like he was sewing gold right into the foundation of what's happening in your lives. So, Father, speak that into their hearts. Father, your word says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. So, Father, breathe it over their lives. 